Okay, welcome back to the Movie Man listeners. Have you missed us? Obviously, we've been away for a little while. Uh, we didn't do a single podcast in April due to some people being in Russia and Ukraine and Seville and other people moving house and adopting cats. But I'd like to welcome back Johnny Smith to the podcast. Hello. Yes. How was your month, Johnny? It was good. I basically just wandered around Russia for two weeks looking at statues of Lenin. So Solid. And Lenin himself. Hello, Len. Hello, uh, Len. And James, how about you, mate? James Pugh, back in the back in the pod. Yeah, finally back. Uh, moved house, got a cat, yeah. finished my script. So finally, life has got some normality to it. In this again, in this fine house that we're recording in, in actually, James. Fine house, yes. Yeah. You. So if the acoustics are off, we can we can blame James's new new maze. You'll have to you'll have to move house. I know. Or build a basement. <laughs> Apologies, listeners. Uh, yeah. Well, we have like a whole month's worth of stuff to go through, listeners, so we're going to do, yeah, busy month, we're going to do things a little bit differently this week, but all will be revealed later, but we'll start in the traditional manner, so James, have you seen anything this week in film that's caught your eye? Yes, actually, Um, it was actually announced today that out of the ten films that have had the best opening weekend at the box office, nine of them are Disney films. A, a devastating indictment on the state of film. I, it's, it's just interesting because, you know, as of what, not that long ago, Star Wars and Marvel didn't belong to Disney, and eight of those nine films are Star Wars and Marvel films. Yeah. The odd one being Beauty and the Beast. Um, but they spent, I think they spent, was it six billion on Star Wars and around that figure maybe for Marvel and like at the time people were like that is insane yeah like the money you spend in just to own like an IP and just it has just returned dividends above and beyond I imagine what they thought it could be um, it's just interesting because a lot of the time I'd say even 20 years ago when I was a kid Disney were considered a powerhouse of cinema yeah an institution yeah but I think they're prolific outturn of films they weren't as prolific as they are now no well Disney uh, films were incredibly recognisable when everyone knew the, a Disney had a film lot more artistic value especially in the animation issues yeah. and, and it feels that now they are stronger and much more of a powerhouse than kind of they've, they've ever been really which ironically is because they purchased two other IPs <laughs> yeah. rather than their own original IPs yeah. well it's not the most depressing box office stat I've ever heard because there was one stage when Orlando Bloom had something was in something like five of the top six highest grossing films of all time. Not sure if that's exactly the exact. Coincidentally, Orlando Bloom hasn't made another film after that. <laughs> Ever since, yeah. Johnny, what about you, mate? What's uh, what's caught your eye? Well, I suppose you know if, if the 2010s are dominated by uh, you know Marvel and Star Wars and Disney, then uh, the Guardian have recently run a lot of articles saying where people have put forward their favourite decade of films. You know? Oh, right, okay. This is interesting. So, sort of, the problem with the Guardian one is that people have, obviously, they've had to cover each decade to mm. make it fair, so, obviously, somebody's had to say, my favourite film decade is the 2010s, which no one <laughs> was would ever James? say. <laughs> <laughs> Just me. Um, so, you know, interesting debates when you think about it. I mean, it's obviously yeah. a bit arbitrary to go, you know, between 1960 and 70 was the best film decade. But um, it's, it makes an interesting... When you think about how decades change and how they sort of what films sum them up, general consensus would surely be seventies. I imagine if you asked 
I mean, the thing is, I would lean towards the sixties and seventies. If you, I think, if you want mainstream American cinema, a high point would have been probably the sixties and seventies. Seventies, yeah. Seventies was when it really, you know, got full swing. You had The Godfather. Seventies was when storytelling met sort of more effects and craft, counterculture movement. These people that were were really experimenting with the medium, but were given the ability to make mainstream films because people, mm. the concept of a mainstream film kind of was was, was new, wasn't it? There wasn't decades yeah. of like people. We kind of now well, the blockbuster. The blockbuster started in the seventies, yeah. Um, and it was that. It was also the era when you had that quintet of Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola, Scorsese, uh, Scorsese, yeah. and. Uh, help me out with the last one off the top of my head can't remember directed Scarface oh Brian De Palma Brian De Palma yeah they were sort of coming up as a, as a crew together and then just dominated film for the next sort of decade I mean you think two. about like The Godfather was a massive success against yeah. all odds and you think there aren't many films now of like a big dramatic level like The Godfather you know sort of a massive production but also sort of quality crafted cinema yeah. and, and directed in a sort of art house way that would made so much money and was such a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. I think the last film to do that, and feel free to argue with me. That wasn't Ti- a blockbuster. Titanic. In terms of its cultural impact. Yes. Yeah. No, no, I, I think and I, I agree with you. Critical I'm wondering if it was the last one. That's that's my only question. Would you call it a blockbuster though in hindsight? Yes. I, I think what I think what a, a a term of what a blockbuster is because it made off a lot of money was it a blockbuster? That's true. Well, the thing is you could say Apocalypse Now is a blockbuster in a sense it was because it was made by tons of money, yeah. massive scale, completely. Whether it made, I don't think it actually made that much money in the end because it was such an absolute shambles to make and everyone almost died on it. Um, did Martin Sheen have a. Michael Sheen? Was it Martin Sheen? Which is it the, was Martin. Martin had a heart attack. Michael Sheen wasn't in it. Michael Sheen wasn't. No relation <laughs> to the Sheens. Different Sheen. Mr. Sheen. Mr. Sheen. But when you look at the list of the top highest grossing, <laughs> the high, the highest grossing films, it's like. It's superhero film, it's Pirates of the Caribbean, it's Lord of the Rings. It's kind of like if you, it's basically take out the nine, basically you start 90s before. Yeah. For the 90s, you go, what were the highest grossing films? Or actually, if you go, what were the highest grossing films before Jaws? Before Blockbuster, before Blockbuster's <laughs> existed, basically, yeah. what? Yeah, it's always Casablanca, isn't it? Citizen Kane. Gone with the Wind, yeah, yeah. Gone, gone, gone with the Wind is like, yeah, uh, Wizard of Oz probably. All right. Well, good stuff, guys. If I may bring it back to the lowest common denominator, um, I did see this pretty funny article in the Guardian this week. Um, the headline: Children flee cinema after seeing trailer for Year's scariest film. I now, uh, did either of you two see the trailer for Hereditary? I did. I did yeah. See it. yeah, yeah. So apparently, um, it was played mistakenly before a Peter Rabbit screening in Australia. And uh, some of the some of the bits that went on here were uh, parents were yelling at the projectionist to stop. It was dreadful. Do you realise that there's not someone sat up there these days? You know? <laughs> uh, not the a man hand cranking the projector around. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just change the film reels. Parents yelling at the projectionist to stop, covering their kids' eyes and ears. Some parents fled the cinema with their kids in tow. Now fled. That's quite. That's quite emotive language. For you mean they left and were like, yeah. No, I mean, you shouldn't show that. 
That's classic. I mean, that, I imagine, I would like to have think if they'd had live footage, it would have been like, you know, the blog or something from the 1950s. <laughs> where people are like, ah, you know, running up the, away <laughs> yeah. from the screen as the blob comes to, you know, get them. <laughs> All was well in the end, though, as the cinema eventually switched off the screen and later offered audience members complimentary tickets as a gesture of goodwill. What, to see Hereditary? To see, <laughs> to see no, Hereditary. Imagine that was it. Like, Have some free tickets. What film? Don't know. Just give them whatever. They go, I'll actually see it. They did look like quite a scary film. The, cynic, the yeah. cynic in me. It's good marketing. Yeah. You are not wrong. It is a quality marketing campaign to accidentally show your trailer. In front That's of true. You right. do always get But then again, if you were a cinema, though, well. you would get in trouble for that. Like, sure. But with this, Matt, Matt, let me just throw another conspiracy theory. Like, did it happen? We don't know. Is this a story? That <laughs> are you calling fake news, James? I reckon. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> You're calling fake, the, I'm on calling fake news on WA Today. Like, Stanley Kubrick, stage. The hereditary trailer. <laughs> Apparently, this isn't they the first. It, they, they, he's not because he's not dead, really. It's I'll not be... the first time this has happened. It's not the first time this has happened. Uh, in 2012, yeah. a cinema in South London accidentally screened trailers for the horror films *The Devil Inside* and *Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance*. *Ghost Rider: Spirit* wasn't Nicholas, Nicholas Cage. Cage. I mean, it's a yeah. horrible film. It's not a horrible <laughs> yeah. film. Which stars a flaming skeleton on a motorbike. Yeah, we know the one. Uh, ahead of a showing of *Puss in Boots*. Well, in 2013, well, this is much worse. In 2013, a teaser for Lars von sexually explicit art house drama Nymphomaniac mm. appeared in advance for a screening of Frozen <laughs> in Florida. That's great. Yeah, I would argue that's probably that's worse. Great. And then yeah. finally, three years later, the trailer for profane animated comedy Sausage Bite was shown before a California cinema screening of Pixar's Finding Dory. Yeah, I think Nymphomaniac takes the, takes the title there. Especially I mean, if you've seen Nymphomaniac... That's, yeah. that's not one for uh, kids. <laughs> no, it's not one for kids. Nothing with Charlotte Burfin really is. I mean, uh, you could always argue that if you can, surely the hereditary trailer won't be as terrifying as having to watch James Corden as a rabbit for two hours. In terms of what's going to stay with me and scar me and keep me up at night the longest, it would probably be James Corden's voice. Or um, <laughs> the uh, implications of someone having something they're allergic to thrown at their face. Yeah. As we learned from uh, a few weeks ago. That's, that's outrageous. That's the real horror story here. His face was so classic. He was like... Burp, 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 burp. <laughs> okay, well, we are going to uh, a shoe. S-Q? S-Chu? I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. I've only ever seen that written down. I was going to say, I know the word <laughs> if you wrote it down. Uh, our traditional um, three-man review of a film. Uh, as there have been a lot of films out this month, and we thought we'd try and cover as much ground as possible by kind of just doing short reviews of a number of different ones. So I'm going to come to Johnny first. So Johnny, what films have you seen this month that you would like to talk about? I think I will... It came out a while ago, about a month ago, but I'll go with Isle of the Dogs. Isle of Dogs. Because it was, you know, it was, it's Wes Anderson, who everyone Wes. knows. It's American, so surely Wes. Wes Anderson. Wes. Like what Wes does Mountain. it stand for? Wesley. Wesley? Wesley, Wesley Snipe Tans. Wesley, I'd say rather. Wesley. Yeah, but the Americans say Wesley, don't they? Fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I love the name Wes. So, But I mean, that's, that's a whole different question. Um, but you know, Wes Anderson, everyone knows of him, not necessarily yeah. likes his style of kooky, quirky, aspect ratio, bright colours, and, and uh, sticking Owen Wilson in everything. <laughs> but you know at least it's giving him something to do and not sophology at first cards on the table he's not massively my cup of tea like some of his Owen work. Wilson Owen, oh no Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson together no I, I like a bit of Owen Wilson yeah Wes Anderson I've never been I've, I've 
vaguely enjoyed most of his stuff, but I've, never like loved it. See, I've, I've cried in three of his films. Wow. Uh, in, in, in joy, ha- hatred, or which ones though? Uh, Rotten and Barbs, uh, Darjeeling Limited, and Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic, surprising. It, it caught me off guard. <laughs> Literally, you just thought it was Bill Murray in a in a red beanie and some okay, not without acoustic going, guitar. Without going too deep, I tend to anything about it's, it's father son relationships just seem to get me more than anything. <laughs> it catches me off guard. I'm like, oh, this is all right, and then suddenly something will happen. It just, it just breaks me inside of him in tears. And, Daddy Unlimited and Rob Turner Bumps did that. Would would Isle of Dogs reduce James' I was going to say, the good thing is Isle of Dogs doesn't really have any father-son related issues. Although there is an orphan in it. Even worse. I think you'll be okay. The dogs are trapped. But obviously Wes Anderson's new film is a full-scale stop-motion animation um, about... Dogs in Japan who have got a dog flu and have all been exiled to an island off Japan. So good. It's They're, a well, tra- it's a well-trodden path for a of film. Of course, you know, we've it's, all it's, heard it's, and seen this one before. It's a, it's a common theme, yeah. And uh, a little boy, Atari, goes to the island on a rocket to rescue his dog, who's gone missing. And there he meets a band of dogs who all speak English. It's incredibly and ambitious. Then they go and try and find the, you know, go on a little adventure to find the dog. Yeah, and also the... stop the evil Japanese Prime Minister from Whoa. killing all the lovely dogs. Why did the dog speak English and the kid speaks Japanese? Well, he does explain at the start that right. everyone will speak Japanese without subtitles. And in some cases, there's sort of like a... Um, what do you call it? Like a translator within the film yeah. who's saying it back in English. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think just for the sheer sake that it would get so convoluted and complicated, the dogs speak English. English is the common tongue of dogs. I think we all know Yeah. That. When they're not speaking in woofs. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think with Wes Anderson, I've preferred his later stuff, as in like the Grand Budapest Hotel, mm-hmm. I thought was when he really sort of Interesting. let go and had, it was just more fun and zany and, you know, sort of the sort of miniature scale and little sets of it. And the way it was like a big dollhouse almost. And I think Isle of Dogs sort of carries on in that way. Okay. And it's, in terms of sort of the production of it, it's so pleasant to watch this like mm. you know yeah. sort of futuristic Japan that sort of mixes traditional with a yeah. sort of newish dystopian world but it's a, a real joy to watch in how terms does of the stop motion how does the stop motion compare to obviously like the, the standard bearers like Wallace and Gromit and well Fantastic Mr Fox was stop motion well, yeah also, of course yeah also West Anderson, wasn't it um you know it's got that sort of obviously it's not claymation it's but it's you know the sort of just the way there's all the little details of everything and it's sort of you'd think it must be so much fun for him to have made it and there's a section where there's sort of this chef is making a sushi box and it's like cutting the fish up and chopping the meat and rolling the things are all done in in this little animated way you feel like whereas Andy just thinks what sort of fun things can I do with these explosions that like cotton wool and things so I think you know it's a technical feat it's a real joy to watch and Narratively, it's not a profound, you know, moving great film, but it's really enjoyable and fun, yeah. and there's sort of that wry, quirky humour in there. He seems to be leaning away from that, especially since, like, Moonrise Kingdom and Fantastic Mr. Fox and Grand Budapest Hotel, like, Royal Tenenbaums and Dodging Limited and Life Classic, just those three in particular, are maybe less Life Classic, especially Royal Tenenbaums and Dodging Limited are very kind of emotionally charged, aren't they? Like, that's. Certainly for you. 
certainly <laughs> slightly biased. Uh, yeah, he's, I think he's, you know, in a way, he's sort of yeah, moved away from that. And Isle yeah. of Dogs is, feels like his biggest leap into sort of full Wes Anderson was almost yeah. like, this is what he really wants to do, is create these, like, ridiculous yeah. sort of worlds. And I think, you know, a lot has been said about having it in Japan, whether it's, like, cultural appropriation. But it's, it's literally my least, because the whole, my least favourite phrase Because the whole thing the is in such reverence to Japan. And obviously there's stuff that's sort of stereotypically Japanese, but it's all done in a, you know, an admiring way. And it's someone, you can tell it's someone who really loves Japanese culture. Yeah. And I think... He creates a nice middle ground where it's Japanese and you can sort of get all the references and enjoy it, but also it's like... feels very authentic still. Yeah. So, yeah, Isle of Dogs is just an enjoyable... Yeah. Just a super pleasant time. Good stuff. And it's less of the, you know, sort of pretentious bullshit, I think, where <laughs> Anderson sometimes <laughs> yeah. becomes a bit self-absorbed. Well... We get the idea. You're looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know him? No. no. I've lost all of my I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Well, okay, so we've had all our dogs. Uh, James, something hot off the press from you. I'm looking forward to this. Sound. You're going to mentally and physically prepare. I need to stretch. I know what you've done. Does it involve Disney or Marvel? <laughs> it might do. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, James, Ooh. sell me the Avengers Infinity War. And tell me why it's not the same horse. To be fair, me and Callum saw Black Panther, so we are now down with all the kids. Down with the Marvel forever. kids. Wakanda forever. Yeah. Wakanda. Wakanda. Cultural appropriation. You can't say it like that. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So my question is, how do I sell it to you? I can't. Oh. And you would both hate it, and I never suggest you watch it. Great. Moving on. What else have you seen? <laughs> let, me t- let, let me tell you why. And I, I, I'd say this to anyone: unless you have watched eighty percent of the stuff they've put out, unless you how are would you find a the time? Huge. Unless you're a huge <laughs> fan, beforehand of the characters <laughs> yeah. that, this film's not for you. There is absolutely no build, no background on any of the characters. <laughs> There's no context to who they are. There's no setting up their character, their opinion, or anything like that. It drops you right in the thick of it and does not stop for three hours. <laughs> three hours. It is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my entire life because the build-up was there. The a, was there a father-son troubles <laughs> and relationships? No, the, the first act of this film is has been ten years long, and I think it's. No, on a very serious note, it, people in a negative way have compared it to just a long episode of television rather than a film because it does that, because there's no structure of introducing you to the characters, giving you their point of view, etc. Et it drops you in with all these characters. In theory, it shouldn't work. There's like 40 odd characters, they're all, they're all speaking parts, they're all doing different things with a villain that's completely CGI. Uh, there's no reason why it should work, but it was absolutely amazing. And I think that if you've ever watched multiple of the Marvel films and are interested in watching it, um, I would say try and catch up on a few more and then go and watch it because it's amazing. You Forty, see, by the sounds of it, catch up on forty no, over ten years. It, it, it is a real skill, and I think that the directors and the producers, and the writers, this is something that could not have been pulled off by by anyone else. It hasn't been pulled off before. People try to pull off big 
ensemble pieces and things like Justice League didn't do very well and you know these kind of things in the past like the Expendables the last, like in Harry Potter in some way just didn't do the it because a, lot, a lot of the characters are, are shit in Harry Potter like Lord of the Rings is possibly the last thing I can think of that handled an, an ensemble multi-vined story so well um, I bring you back thing, to the Expendables which is all which is, which is terrible and I just <laughs> but does Avengers have a plot this is yeah. So basically, over which past, is generally that all over, of the films, over yeah. multiple films and in, and in the the mythos of the law, there are these infinity stones which were started at the Big Bang, and there's like a time one or so, and they all have like a special power. And there's a dude who is trying to collect them all so he can destroy half the universe because he believes. And this is like Pokemon, right? So this is more so this peril. Is, this just is half the, the universe. No, so, exactly. So the reason why this film is great is the villain is essentially the protagonist, it's his story, he gets the most screen time, he's the only character with, a, with an actual arc in terms of character progression, uh, and he's fascinated. So the reason why he wants to destroy half the universe is because he's travelled across the universe and realises that many planets are struggling to feed their people, and people live in such poverty that there's a population problem and no one's going to do anything about it. So what he wants to do, he wants to gather these stones together so he only has the power of a god, he wants to click his fingers and destroy half the universe, right? And then he's just going to go retire somewhere. It's like a strange way of dealing with the issue. If he's well, got this stuff, these people not are just suffering. Like, you know, I'm going to put them out of their misery. Better. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Too much effort. So it Too much doesn't effort. work like that. But, but, but that, so it's, in, it's immediately compelling. It's not just a dude who's here going, I'm here to conquer. So he has got a reason for destroying things. And he thinks he's good. And to some people, a reasonably sound logic. Yeah, so to him, which, Crazy is, which is why it's fascinating, because to him, he's not the bad guy. And I think that that's where a lot of superhero films have failed to kind of have the credibility, because... The caricatured bad guys. Caricatured bad guys. If I'm here, I'm bad. You've got to stop me, because I'm bad. But they always like to give them a little bit of a backstory with a like reason why. And I, a little bit. This is the most developed it's ever been. Is he going to blow up Earth then, presumably? No, he's not blowing up planets. He's just eradicating half the living organisms in the universe. Oh, right. So that then everything is balanced again. And then he doesn't want to do any conquering like that. And then he's just going to go and retire in a cabin somewhere. And that is, fa- and that is a compelling story, because then I'm interested though. And you guys are already asking questions about it. So as soon as you introduce that concept at the start of the film, you're kind of like... But what if you're on one of okay. the other, one of the planets that doesn't have any food still? What if he doesn't eradicate one of them? How are you going to get to another planet which does have the food? How does the system work? Has he brought in ID cards? Everyone knows that famine is based more on economic issues than it is based on actual environmental issues. What does Jeremy so, Corbyn's so position on I want to know what his plan is for redistribution of wealth here because it doesn't seem like a very sound logic. Are you saying Thanos is going to be the next Home Secretary? <laughs> I, I, yes. Uh, so, so anyway, I... <laughs> really enjoyed it. I don't want to go into too much into spoilers. However, uh, it's possibly the most depressing superhero film I've ever seen in my entire life. From start to finish, nothing fantastic and amazing really happened. It's quite downbeat. There were children leaving our cinema in tears at the end of it. Um, yeah, they hadn't just shown the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I had an amazing time. And I think it's... What did you do? What, laughing at the children? <laughs> every, every expectation that you have going into this film, I think it meets... Sub- and subverts at the same time and gives you stuff that you didn't even think you knew. Uh, and I think, in terms of blockbusters, possibly the best in terms of it should not work. It should not work. There's too many characters, there's so many plot threads going on. Um, a lot of the characters are CGI, which traditionally doesn't really go down very well, especially when you're trying to give meaningful performances. 
anti circus and all that side. Um, and it shouldn't work, but but it does. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. Cool. Well, for our third film, it's going to be a little bit of a joint presentation because uh, me and John have both seen A Quiet Place. James, you've not James seen it. James is still watching Avengers. Oh, James, I'll have to go and watch it again next week. It was that good. There's only 22 to get through, so you'll be fine. You should have gone to the, in New York there, the 31 hour Marvel marathon of every single one. That sounds brilliant. And then at the end, they had to section the entire audience because they've gone batty. <laughs> so, Quiet Place. Uh, I watched it just today. A little bit earlier on, Tuesday afternoon showing. What a tense film. Probably the most t- intense film I've ever seen. It's very stressful. <clears throat> a little bit, just to give a little bit of background on it. So it is John Kaczynski and Emily Blunt play a couple of parents who are with their children in, <clears throat> and basically the world has been invaded by aliens that uh, hunt by sound. So everyone has to be silent. Uh, so that adds an enormous layer of tension to the film because horror films use silence just generally as a mode to ramp up the tension. So imagine that, but for 90 minutes and you've basically got a quiet place. So Johnny, how much does this sort of like, it's bringing a new new original take to the horror genre, which we've seen quite a lot recently. There's been a lot of new takes on the horror genre. That's the thing, is a pretty good run of, of horror of late, you know, mm. with the, the Babadook and the Witch, and it follows and things. And get out, um, get out. And I think recently it was Don't Breathe, which had, oh, which so was good. like a sort of home invasion horror thriller yeah. where he was blind. So again, sort of sound came into that to an yeah, extent, yeah. but you know, in a sort of different way. Um, but I think the, the thing that I realised about Quiet Place was, it's sort of you know, in terms of continue with the sound metaphor it was getting rid of all the background noise of where these aliens come from yeah where's the bill you know what happened in earth where's everyone else yeah you just meet this family you get thrown straight into this sort of world where apparently there's these aliens and you have to say something it just goes from there and the whole thing just hinges on being so well crafted Mm. that the silence you know carries it through and you you really buy into the tension of it all. And I think by ignoring, you know, not getting bogged down in, in the sort of plot details, just going, this is the scenario, run with it, you know, because it's just a really effective thriller. And, you know, in an exercise and going, can I make this almost silent, entirely silent film out of a horror? And, and it works, and it does. And I suppose, you know, the, the whole film sort of revolves around that central family and, like, their interactions and their relationships when they can't speak to each other and, like, how they have to sort of express love to each other and sort of express, well, discipline and things like that, right? Which is really interesting um, take on it. John Kaczynski directed it as well, and he said, he said uh, it's kind of a metaphor for parenthood or, or just a film about parenthood. I mean, there was no metaphor really here, was there? I thought it was a weird yeah, way of putting it's a, it. It's a, yeah, it's a film about, you know, parenthood and yeah. families and, and, and sort of relations within that. Yeah, and protecting your children, basically. That's what the film is about. It's not a metaphor. It's a strange way of putting it. But it's been, um, yeah, it's been heavily, heavily praised. 
Uh, and rightly so, I think is is you know is a, a new take on that genre. I think that so. you know with films that are sort of with Avengers, yeah. it's obviously a very noisy lot going on, you mm. know. <sighs> and then a quiet place is so far the opposite, and yeah. you know it's done really mm. well and been a surprise hit, which so often horror films are, and it sort of is a, a nice change of pace, really. Do you think if it was released towards the end of the year, it'd be getting some awards buzz? Do you think it's that? Probably. No, I think it, of, do you know? I not, think it, not I that think level of film, but do you think it's getting that I think kind if of it buzz about come out, it, it could have, people would have gone, like, oh. the get, like Get Out kind of got a bit, and I know that was for political reasons, potentially. But Things like sound design and things, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think it, do I think it should win? Well, probably not. But I think, it, yeah, I could see it getting a similar yeah. sort of Best original screenplay. Yeah. For its two words. Yeah. We've seen, to, do you, to be honest, we've seen some pretty good uh, films for sound design in, in you know, the last sort of year. I mean, Arrival had brilliant sound design. Dunkirk. Annihilation. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Annihilation. Yeah, all really good sound design. So this was another film that kind of made you realise how important sound design is for the mood of a film and, and, and to push out through. It's, it's nice to get a reminder every once in a while. When, like you say, sometimes when we see a blockbuster, it's just like loud noises and flashing lights and stuff. It is good to see something like as stripped back as this and just... I think, you know, that's the thing. It, it is a really well put together film and it has to be because if it you know if it doesn't work and all come together it would just be either incredibly boring or just a bit of a mess really but yeah. you know it's a fine balancing act to, to keep it you know frightening and interesting and still sort of care about these characters all while nobody talks really you know that I think that's a, yeah. an impressive yeah. feat Okay, so that's it from us for this slightly abridged movie, men. But remember to download us on iTunes and subscribe and sign up to follow us on Twitter and all those shenanigans. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time of what we're going to be looking at. I'm not sure at the moment. Any suggestions from anybody? I think Han Solo is a bit later than that, so if we can avoid that one, like the play. Surely be there'll be a Marvel film out by then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, July is the next one, Johnny. Ant Man and the Wasp. Oh. I mean, we'll find some, some shit to watch. Oh, we'll we always, always find do. some for shit you, to watch. For you listeners, we will find some shit to watch. <laughs>